2: Hello, I'm James. I'm one of the producers
3: of Stories of Our Times. And this weekend, we're bringing you an extra episode from another Times podcast, the Red Box Politics Podcast. This week, Matt Chorley had a fascinating chat with Tim Shipman, the Sunday Times chief political commentator, about the art of the political lunch. Very few people have had as many political lunches as Tim. They discuss wining and dining ministers, the state of politics and Tim's next book. We're back tomorrow as usual. For now, here's Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Hello. We've got a table for two, but for Matt Chorley, 1.30.
1: Yes, Cindy,
3: Lovely. You lead the way. I think a booze is better. Let's take a booze. Perfect, thank you. Uh, right, we've got the menu. Are we doing wine or food first?
2: Where is you the wine? get something on the go, don't you? Yeah, I think we, should, we want to start start with a drink. I think if you had a politician, you'd loosen their tongue a little. How often now do you get a
3: politician who, who might start with
2: a livener a pair of teeth? I think it depends when you're doing it. If it's lunch, almost never these days. Um, most people are, uh, well, you could say... Dull, or you could say professional, and <laughs> even drinking at lunchtime. Um, when I started out in the lobby in two thousand and one, I think most people drank most of the time. Um, almost nobody drinks at lunchtime now, and there are even some journalists that don't as well. I'm told. Um, <laughs> if it's a dinner yeah. and you specifically book to dinner with, say, a cabinet minister, they'll often arrive late, usually because they've had a terribly busy and important yeah, day. Yeah. Running the country, and they quite often do want to uh, let their hair down a little bit. Um, so you're more likely to be able to entice them into a into a libation. But the days of Sunday journalists particularly used to have lengthy lunches on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and there you know there was such a thing in those days as a three bottler. Um, what between two people? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now I can't remember the last time I had a three bottler.
3: I remember, uh, I'm going to do my Ken Clark story this early, uh, I was at the Independent on Sunday and I was really hung over for some reason, maybe because I'd had a three bottle of someone else the night before. And so I thought, lunch with Ken Clark, that's fine. And so I went to the restaurant, Rue, very posh restaurant just off Parliament um, yeah. Square. Uh, it's shut, isn't it? It has, it has shut, shut yeah. yeah. It was very expensive. It was very expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Ken Clark was late and I got a call from his office saying he was insisted on walking because he didn't want anyone to know where he was. So he didn't have a car so obviously
2: picked one of the most prominent restaurants a yeah, hundred exactly. yards from the house so of government.
3: Uh, and he turned up and without even sitting down, I think, ordered gin and tonics for us both. And uh, I think we had a nice bottle of wine and uh, that we maybe even had something afterwards. I very agree with it was too. And I basically spent the whole time, because I was quite young at that point, I spent the whole time thinking, I'm having lunch with Ken Clark. He didn't really tell me he had anything of a great interest. He sort that he wouldn't... Because the beauty of Kenny is anything he thought, he'd already said in public, many times over. He wasn't There wasn't a huge amount you would say off the record that he wasn't willing to say on the record. But
2: there's an element, particularly when you're starting out, of, sort of political tourism. It's nice yeah. to meet these people. I remember going to see Nigel Lawson, Michael Heseltine, who'd been these sort of giant figures in my youth, and just hearing the old stories was enough.
3: Yeah. But I'm sorry, I... having water. Can we order some drinks, please? Yeah, thank you. Can I get a Bloody Mary then? Bloody
1: Mary, how spicy do you like? Sort of
2: medium. medium.
3: Yeah. Uh, I just, just for the sake of. Um, pot, let's have a pink Gibson. That's vodka, vodka gin and a pickled onion. There we go. Great. That, that sounds good. Perfect. Just to ask whether there's any allergies I
2: should be aware of? No, no, not at all. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, in terms of sharpness, the one that sticks in my mind is a serving member of the Shadow Cabinet who arrived before I did for, I think it was a 12 o'clock lunch it was an early one, which was, was not like halfway through the afternoon and I arrived to discover her halfway down what was very clearly a large gin and tonic I've had quite a morning um, and uh, yeah she should probably remain nameless
3: I think some people will think this is all a bit ostentatious partly us having this lunch isn't it out of the ordinary for, for political journalists but everyone else is worried about the cost of living and uh, we're traffic and politicians are talking. Why? Why can politicians spare the time? Why should they spare the time? And why does it need to be done over lunch and not a cup of tea or in an office somewhere having a normal meeting like normal people? Well,
2: I would say increasingly it's um, it's increasingly a coffee or pop into the department for half an hour. A lot of lunches get cancelled because business gets in the way, which is why if you want to have a really deep dive, you probably ought to go for a dinner. But you know, politicians and journalists kind of coexist in the same space and um, we need their stories and they need our publicity. And doing it over lunch is a way of getting to know each other a bit better, maybe establishing some trust, swapping some stories that aren't necessarily kind of massively important to the future of the country, but um, help grease the wheels of, um, you know, frankly, everybody likes to have a bit of a gossip. Um, It's quite helpful to cabinet ministers to hear from journalists who've been around a bit about how things are playing, how things are landing. They don't always get told the truth by their own special advisers or by their own whips. You know, sometimes we can, it's a two-way process, you can be of some use um, to them. And, um, you know, by getting to know a politician and getting to hear them sort of in a more relaxed atmosphere, you kind of um, can develop the kind of relationship that has mutual benefits going forward. And, you know... Some people treat lunch like they treat other things, like a press conference. Some journalists come in and start out and get a few contacts here, pick up one bit of salacious gossip and immediately trot out and tweet it and go to, you know, put it online and others build relationships and try to sort of, um, you know, build a long-term rapport with someone where you're more likely to get the goodies in due course. Um, I've sort of always tried to do it the latter way and I think most, certainly Journalists on Sunday papers would play the longer game. Oh
3: well, our drinks have arrived. Look at that. There we go. Thank, Thank you very much. I all about the pickled onions, but cheers Tim. you've got celery and tomato, and I've got a couple of pickled onions. Yeah, in the the celery is.
2: Uh, well, that's well, that's rather good.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's hit the spot.
2: Lovely. But you and I arrived together. It was often in the olden days when people drank too much at lunch, I think um, a tendency for certain MPs to arrive early for their lunch. I remember Michael Fallon, the former Defence Secretary, used to lunch with David Ruffley. When they went hunted as a pack, you would sort of say one o'clock and you'd get there 10, 15 minutes early knowing what they were like and they'd already be sitting there. (laughs) There'd already be a bottle of wine on the table and you were already paying for it. And, um,
0: That's interesting. Let's
2: put it this way: they didn't respect the expenses limit.
3: That's interesting. Two MPs lunching together because somebody's well, just uh, grinding up some ice in the background. Um, lots of people won't know this, but it's quite normal for journalists to lunch together. So two journalists and one MP. Yeah. Well, I, you know, for a long time I used to lunch with Chris Mason. It's now Chris goes to the BBC. I was at Mail Online. He was at the BBC. So a minister would think, well, I've got for an hour's lunch i can hit the bbc in Madeline or the bbc in the times Two for the price of one two with the price of one it's good uh, you know there would be some people who want to lunch with me and some people want to lunch with chris and so we'd sort of double up and that worked quite well but for two mps just to be out troughing presumably at that point as well sort of back pieces. they were both
2: back ventures and and quite a lot of what they were good at was speculating about what, what might happen in the next reshuffle and uh, if you go back and look at sort of uh, Google or LexisNexis or the reshuffle stories written between about 2001 and about 2010, almost all of them included a promotion for Michael Fallon and or David Ruffin, <laughs> which was the least you could do slightly, after they'd given you half a dozen other stories. Slightly
3: more successfully for Michael Fallon than Indeed. David Ruffin. Indeed, yeah, yes. Um, so let's, let's have a look at the food. Starters, where these days, when I've been out with politicians, they even try to skip starters. I, I
2: always check, do you have time for two? Yeah. Um, the real connoisseurs will say, well, let's do a main and a pud." Yeah. Um, but yes, a starter is its often a quick one-courser. Um, what, do- what are we doing today?
3: Star- are we doing starters?
2: Uh, I will be led by you, Matthew.
3: I'm happy to do starters, is what we're here for. Let's do it, then. Yeah, yeah we're good. I think we're probably ready to order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll have the Crab on toast, please. To start. Yeah, your starter?
2: yeah I'll, have a, I'll have the scallops, please.
3: And I decided I was gonna have a steak without actually deciding which
2: steak. <laughs> I will go ribeye, medium rare with the eggs and the peppercorn, please.
3: Me, oh, I mean, I literally, I'll, I'll go if you've had the ribeye, I'll have the sirloin. Shall I? Yeah, please, medium rare. I won't have the two fried eggs. I, yeah, I'll have, I'll go... Yeah, let's go Bernays. Yeah, nice. What do we need sides? Sides is a good question. I'll have a spinach, please. A cream spinach
2: or and
0: Cream spinach, please.
2: Spinach.
3: And I will have some beef-dripping fries. Beef-dripping fries. Mash and gravy for me, please. Perfect.
1: So this- Thank you very much.
3: No so the choice of restaurant... Was mainly, the mainly thing we chose because it's a nice steak restaurant, not far, far from uh, Times Radio Towers but how do you go about choosing the restaurant?
2: Well, it depends what your guest wants. Some of them are like, oh, there's a vote at three o'clock, we need to be in the House of Commons. Um, so they might take you to the, the terrace or to uh, the member's dining room or the stranger's dining room. Or there's a place called the German in uh, Portcullis House, as you know, which uh, is a bit more of a cantini type thing. As a Sunday hack and someone who is often doing interviews for books and that sort of thing, people quite often like to be off the reservation and most people in Westminster are extremely lazy so if you get much further than Trafalgar Square in one direction or Mulbank Tower in the other you're not going to run into sort of passing the trade. Anything that involves jumping in a cab for five minutes is going to put off uh, most people. So and this is
3: because what, what someone doesn't want, is they're a cabinet minister, your well-known face, key face around Westminster you might say, so if a cabinet minister is seen with Tim Shipman on Wednesday... And in the big read in the Sunday Times for the weekend, a cabinet minister says Richie Sunak is useless and he's got to go. There's at least half a chance that someone might have spotted him and put two or two together. Correct.
2: Yeah. I tend to find off the beaten track places and if you can find nice restaurants that sort of have a nice wine list that you might be able to coax someone out with. Um, um, I'm in a, a member of a club as well which occasionally I take people to which um, uh, up in Soho that makes you know gets people out of town.
3: I remember, on the subject of restaurants, I remember once inviting James Wharton, as he then was. He's now Lord Wharton, of course. Of course, they all are, yeah. aren't
0: they? He was, a,
3: he was a minister, like, must have been in the Cameron government, I think, and uh, it invited him for lunch. His office sent me an email, I think, saying, the minister needs to be near the house. So he thought he might like to go to Roux, which, yeah. as we've discussed, a very expensive restaurant just across Parliament Square. I mean, really quite expensive and not really middle-ranking, oh, in fact, probably even junior minister of the department. Yeah, that was uh,
2: cabinet ministers' only Local kind of government, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how I judged it.
3: Yeah. yeah, but I said, I'm not really. You know, that seems a bit much of the parliamentary under-secretary for dustbins, or whatever he was. So I went back and said, well, you know, actually we could uh, probably go somewhere else. I said, no, the minister's quite insistent that he'd like to go to Rue. And I said, well, if he needs to be near parliament, I'm having to go to the adjournment, which is literally on the parliamentary estate. You're going to be near a parliament. No, the minister really would like to go to Rue. I th- I, I'm just trying to think, we either ended up going to the adjournment, or we, we may not have had lunch at all. The, all he was trying to get was a lunch at Rue
2: out of us. Well, now he's a member of the House of Lords, um, You know, I'm sure someone will, pounds, shout, yeah. will shout him a nice lunch. Well,
3: maybe, maybe uh, our, our decision not to go there added to the financial woes of Rue, which is why it's not there anymore. Maybe you know what, turns out a pickled onion soaked in gin and vodka. It's the business, is it? Quite quite good. Mm.
2: I'm up my tomato. Thank you.
3: Now oh, the food's all right. Here we go. Thank you very much. Right then. So I've got my, my crab on toast. I've got my three scallops. Three scallops. A little splash of lemon juice. A nice bit of lemon juice glass of white to go with the I think a glass of white with the that fish. Sounds that sounds like a very good yeah, idea, do you have yeah. a particular preference, or should I just... Why don't you pick for yeah, yeah. no us? Thank you very much. Very good. So at what point... As we dig into the starters, at what point in your lunching do you
2: start fishing no. for information? The strategy of a lunch... No. Well, you, you would normally... I think... You would spend the first part of you know the ordering, and before anything arrives, small talking, yeah. I kind of think. What's been going on, who's yeah. been doing what to who, all of that kind of thing. Um, I used to have a sort of catch-all, tell me what's keeping you busy, or something like that. And that's then an opportunity for them to get off their chest, whatever it is they want to get off their chest. If they've got a story to offer, they might wheel it out at that point just to sort of... Some politicians like to sort of... Some of them used to actually say, you know, I will always sing for my supper and they would um, you know, produce a piece of paper with a policy announcement on it or if they were being particularly naughty, some kind of write-around document that was nothing to do with their own department um, that contained a policy they wanted to kill off so they'd pass that to you in the hope that you would ridicule it in your newspaper. And then... And this is where it sort of helps to have two journalists working together you then start to sort of cross-examine them a bit and try to make it look as casual as possible, tossing out, sort of, well, oh, we've heard that this is happening, or... Are you, are you aware that the Prime Minister is sort of uh, working on this at the moment? Or, you know, Is that a good idea? What would be the pros and cons of that, or... Have they got some long-term thinking that they're looking at that isn't quite ready to, to go, but that you might think about doing a story on in a few months' time, and you can kind of go dibs, you know, that's mine, I, you know, can we have that when it, when it's ready? Yeah. Um, but the longer the meal goes on, and if you've got anything controversial to sort of ask, you know, you intend to leave it till the end, um, you wouldn't want to sour the meal. Um, Warm them up. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. And if it's a dinner, you know, frankly, lubricate them a bit as well.
3: It, well, yeah, I suppose there's an interesting question about alcohol, even politics. Yeah, this is delicious, by the way. My, my, Wonderful. my yeah. crab, uh, crab on toast. Love it. Um, but the role of alcohol, he says, he finishes off his gin and vodka with a pickled onion. Clearly, there's a difference between a couple of glasses of wine just to warm things up a bit and get someone a bit more loose-lipped, and then we know all the other stories about what goes on with alcohol in politics. It was interesting what you've said about how, and I know this as well, there's much less alcohol in politics than there used to be. But I remember... Well, I was first working in the lobby. I mean, half the lobby was sort of functioning or not functioning alcoholics. Yeah. They were in the bar at eleven o'clock in the morning, came back at lunchtime and fell off their chairs. We sort of thought it was funny at the time, but on reflection, they were just people
2: whose working lives had ruined them. Well, there's one. I mean, I, I, I guess we can name him because he's written about it in his book. But Damien McBride, who was um, Gordon Brown's sort of main spin doctor still on the scene now a little bit. A quite brilliant man, frankly. One of the best spinners I've ever seen in action. And he was, by his own admission, a a very high-functioning alcoholic for a large part of that period. He was drinking cans of beer at his desk in the morning. Um, And taking journalists out for considerable amounts of alcohol later in the day. Um, Have you ever worried about that? About alcohol? No, I mean, I think... I've never let it become an issue for me, I don't think. Um, there's all sorts of stresses and strains in Parliament. Um, I've seen it grab a lot of other people. Um, thank you very much. But actually, there's quite a sort of thank you slightly parsimonious attitude to everything these days. So I'd say people, you know, I'm Let's be gentle, but say in my mid 40s, um, people who are 10, 15 years younger, um, they don't seem to yeah. see it in the same way. I, don't well, I think, think that's
3: probably really also the same. the same. He's terrible, they're very literally having this conversation just as he's brought over two, two goblets of uh, a white burgundy. That's how we nice. do nicely. Very nice with a fishy starter.
2: But you're right, it was seen as a sort of very funny thing back in the day. Um, and it used to be a bit of a tradition where the, the journalists in the sort of daily parliamentary lobby would all sit and have lunch together and it was sort of the done thing to have a yeah. drink then. And the sort of senior journalists in mean, those days were figures like sort of Trevor Kavanagh and Michael White on The Guardian and um, David Hughes on The Mail. This is, we're talking, you know, 20 odd years ago now. You could learn a lot by sitting and listening to those guys over a glass of wine Absolutely, um, and then you'd all sort of get on with your working day and to a degree I think that sort of sense of camaraderie has been lost a little bit um, social media means everyone's kind of out for themselves and who can write the quickest or funniest tweet um, and it's a bit of a dog-eat-dog world um, but it was also a massively more hierarchical kind of place and, and those kind of social functions I think reinforced that rather than breaking through it. So while I sat and learnt a lot, it was a long time before i felt confident enough to sort of break out on my own. Yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, Tim's spilt down himself already. Only the starter, you've already spilt.
2: I know, a, a wee dribble from the, from the scallop has made its way, has <laughs> escaped.
3: Well, we've put a shot of starters. They're absolutely delicious.
2: Now just savouring this very nice burgundy.
1: Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com
0: for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com.
3: So the steak's arrived. There's your eggs, Tim. Two fried eggs on a small plate. Mm -hmm. Mash and gravy, Mm
2: -hmm. cream
3: spinach, lovely.
2: Homemade ketchup.
3: Thank you very much. Peppercorn. Peppercorn.
2: And the Bernays.
3: Bernays. I do have your fries coming. My fries are coming. Thank you. You You were looking a little bit well. I know, I was starting to look askance that I was having a steak and spinach and that was the full extent of it. I'm going to say your fried eggs look a little overdone, Tim. Well, they look like... A little bit crispy around the edges. Well, We'll give them a chance. But, but with one yolk. As long so as the yolks break when I. Eat.
0: He's putting his uh, for the benefit them of, them. of listeners.
3: He's putting the fried egg on top of his steak. Yeah. There we
1: go.
3: Right, let's get a bit of the Bernays on the guy. So in your your lunch with the minister, you've you've done the small talk. You've had the starters. You've got them warmed up with some light chit chat. What's the, what's
2: the the meat and potatoes of it? What happens in the main course? Well, I think that's where you sort of cut to the chase. Start asking them about stuff you've heard all around Whitehall. What's the government up to? What are they doing? What are they hearing anybody else is doing?
1: Oh. The chips, chips,
3: chips have arrived. Excuse me, can we get some wine, please? Of course. Sir. Do, you, do you want some red wine? Well, I'm from Red. Yeah. So, a glass? Yeah, just a glass. Two glasses of red, please. Okay, you. you can decide. Some sort of malbec or something some like that. Some sort of Mal,
2: yeah, a bit lovely. So the the modern journalist, upon hearing something newsworthy, will start whacking it into a Google Doc or notes on their phone. In front of the guest? Yes, some some of them do. And I sort of think, it's fine if they're deliberately imparting information. But if they're saying something that's sort of a little bit offbeat... I mean, the old days, one or other of us would look at... You'd sort of exchange eye contact with your lunch partner in a kind of, oh, I think we've got a page lead there. Or, oh, that's, that's rather good, isn't it? Should we push a bit harder on that? Or just occasionally, they'd sort of say something where you thought an extra question might be, might be best not to draw attention to the fact that you're quite so interested in it. Yeah. And one or other of you would sort of make your excuses and nip to the loo at that point and scribble, in the days before Google Docs, you would scribble into your notepad and hope that you could still read it later.
3: Um, the red wine has just arrived, so that's excellent news. All that. Cheers.
2: Cheers. That'll do nicely. Well, this state, I'm Contrast not gonna- that with, with modern... I, I, I remember when I was um, doing some interviews um, for one of my books at the Chequers Summit. Um, Jeremy Hunt was then the health secretary and someone, they were bit sort of stuck in some boring cabinet that had gone on for four hours about Brexit, and someone started passing around Haribo, and when it reached Hunt, who was health secretary and parsimonious about health and all the rest of it, he said, I think I'll have those. And he basically confiscated <laughs> them. Now, I should ask you about the book. How is the book?
3: When can people expect to see it in the shops? And how pleased will you be that your? Entire life being consumed by the ins and outs of Brexit for the last seven years will
2: be at an end. Yes, I'm looking forward to the end of that life, I think it's fair to say. Um, It's, I've got a full draft, it's quite long at the moment. I'm just working in a few extra bits and then I've got to cut, cut, cut. And I'm hoping it will be in the shops in November so everybody can buy it for Christmas. And if they don't want to uh, read it, they can use it as, uh, it'll be very, it'll burn well on a log (laughs) fire. (laughs) be <laughs> a good dense book you know you'll get two or three hours of very attractive how, how, how many how many words are we talking at the moment oh it's uh it's less than war and peace but not much less at the moment put a figure on it oh war and peace is five hundred and seventy thousand words Right. So mine is uh, a little bit less than that but wow. uh, it needs to come down considerably um i mean you you
3: are essentially a victim of your own success the first book all-out war, which was such a huge hit, I think, because Brexit happened. Britain voted for Brexit, and lots of people who voted Leave or Remain weren't sure how that happened. And you wrote the first definitive account of how that happened. And now, seven years on, you're still you're still I'm going still at it. Still going. Yeah, I mean, it's
2: taken over. It changed politics, didn't it? It's taken over all our lives to some degree. It's now much more in the background, but I think everything that happened in that period shaped the kind of the relationships within the Conservative Party, which are still impacting on us now. Um, it has, to some degree, shaped the economic um, situation we find ourselves in. Though, obviously, uh, COVID and the war in Ukraine are kind of more immediate causes of that. Um, and I think it's changed sort of how a lot of people see themselves and how they relate to each other. And so what started as a kind of political, you know, just say what happened in the room, and I'm trying to, in the conclusion at least, try and draw a bit of a few kind of conclusions about what it all meant as well as what actually happened and how it happened and why, you know, a combination of ideology and people's ambitions all kind of came into this big pot and caused quite so much upheaval. Because you needed an
3: endpoint. So the, fir- the, the first one was clearly, this is how Brexit happened. The second one
2: was the, the bit in between, and it was what just after the 2017 election. Yeah, the, most of that book was about the election, and it took us up to the joint report, where basically the backstop was created. And the third book begins with the backstop, and with Dominic Grieve getting the right to have a meaningful vote. And those two things frankly shaped the rest of Theresa May's no. premiership for another 18 months. and then then you've got
3: Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, Rishi Sinak and all. It's all in there. But actually, when we get to the end of 2023, that does feel like there's a full stop there if the polls are to be believed and Labour are about to win the next general election when it comes next year.
2: Yeah, and the interesting thing is Labour are at times significant players in this, but actually out of 60-odd chapters, I'd say there were probably four meaningful chapters on the Labour Party. And that shows you, you know, there was a time when there were the cross-party talks, there was a time when they moved towards a referendum, there was briefly the moment where people broke away from the Labour Party and tried to do something differently. But for the most part, they were uh, viewing it like we were, Mm -hmm. Um, and it looked like they are going to take over. So, yeah, I mean, at the moment, the book ends with Boris Johnson resigning from Parliament, which looks like a good bookend. He's the main kind of character in all senses running through the trilogy, so, um, yeah, but the number of endpoints I've had over the years, (laughs) firstly it was Theresa May going, then it was the Brexit night, then it was Boris Johnson's Christmas Eve deal, then it was Boris going, then it was Trust going, then it was Rishi's deal, uh, Windsor deal, and now Boris Johnson finally shuffling away.
3: watched it all from the sidelines? I'll let you eat your last bit of steak and egg. Having watched it all from the sidelines, have you ever thought about
2: entering politics yourself? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not because I don't think it's a good thing. I think it's a noble calling. And I think what I try and do in these books is show that everybody, for the most part, has a, a good reason to be there. And they just sincerely believe different things. Where they differ is in having any ability to bring those things about. Um, they have got a lot of time for people who go into politics. It's a thankless task. A lot of them get abused now in a way that they didn't 20 years ago. You, you know, Back in the day, you could get yourself a safe seat, barely ever turn up to a constituency surgery, have quite a nice life, live in a big house, put some expenses in. Um, maybe become the parliamentary of state for paperclips, um, and retire with a knighthood and the good wishes of um, your friends and family. These days, you're going to spend a lot of the time dealing with pretty unpleasant people on social media, getting death threats, wondering which ones to take seriously, doing all that. So I've got loads of time for those people, but it's just not my skill set. Um, they have to work out what to do and how to do it. I'm quite good at going, well, I wouldn't do it like that, but I'm less good at <laughs> After showing, the event, yeah. there we are. Thank you very much. That was terrific, Wonderful. yeah, thank you.
3: Thank you. Well, that was really good. That was really good. Well, oh. I might make a chip. have Just a finish. chip. have a little chip. There's a man approaching with a dessert menu. Well, I mean, it would be wrong not to. Well, yeah. we're here. Thank you very much.
2: Where actually are the... In the very the first
3: page. you right.
2: There we are. Oh, there we go. Your classic sticky toffee. Oh, I'm not going to get past blueberry and lime cheesecake, I'm afraid. The sure trouble with sticky
3: toffee pudding is I would like it, but I will sleep for a week yeah. afterwards. Yeah, no, I know. Chocolate on glaze, sticky toffee pudding, blueberry and lime cheesecake, yeah. peanut butter shortbread. This
1: can help it, no, stuff. really good. Thank you.
3: Strawberry... And Basil Pavlova or Elderflower power what would, you, what would you What would you suggest? A sticky toffee oh. Everybody always says that. <laughs> is it really good? it's, I mean, my it's partner, normally the best is thing is on the menu. This is the best Right, on your recommendation, I will have a sticky toffee pudding. Sticky toffee pudding. Thank okay, you. I will have the blueberry and lime cheesecake, please. Thank you, Thank you. It's Tim. As we await dessert, there,
2: um, a sense of anticipation building.
3: Yeah. Um, what does politics look like? As a, how long have you been in the lobby?
2: I have been in the lobby for 22 years. That's much longer than me. started in one. No, I started
3: in 2005. I had two years out doing Obama and all that. Oh, yeah. Um, so, as, as a watcher of politics over the last 20 years, what does British politics over the next 20 years look like?
2: That's a very interesting question, which I haven't thought about. What does politics look like over the next 20 years? I think it is a little bit more ideological than it was when I first started out and it would be interesting to see how the Labour Party manages that versus their sort of technocratic desire to get in and you can see them running quite a lot of the Blair playbook at the moment which is we control the spending, we look responsible, we might well match the Tory spending plans But underneath it, a lot of the ideas are things that are a little bit more radical than you would probably have seen Tony Blair attempt. And I think Brexit itself has been a kind of cultural dividing line for the nation. And I think it's not about Brexit, but it's what it signifies, how you voted. And I think that tells you a lot about where people are coming from. And I think it's made people more confident about striking ideological poses. Social media has added to the sort of Intensity of people's political feelings, and I think it will require politicians who are more sophisticated and more deft at handling all that. Have an interest Hang in. Hang on it. a minute, Tim. Our pudding has arrived.
1: Sticky oh. pudding.
2: Look at that.
3: That's that is, is, a, that looks, looks as dense down. as I was expecting. Oh, that's a nice amount of uh, gun Thank you very much. Well. Very Thank you. Um, my uh, Sticky of pudding has arrived. Surrounded by a sauce which I'll describe as the colour of gravy.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the sticky toppings. Yeah, it? yeah. Now, just
3: in case it is too rich, yeah. I've complete opposite as well for you to try. You've brought me a second pudding. After all that talk go, of okay. two dinners. Surely
2: two puddings. There we are. So there this
3: we is go. The, uh, panna
2: cotta, yeah, raspberry Cotta. That's a raspberry panacotta. Look at yeah, that. It? It's two puddings. Thank you very much. That's going to become a thing. So yeah, he's a ru- he's
3: ruined my reputation as a health fitness addict.
2: I was unaware of that reputation. Oh, of oh, I'm very big on TikTok, I'm doing handstands yeah. on TikTok. Rather,
3: <laughs> Tim, we should finish with. How do you finish your lunch? How do you, when you've taken a senior cabinet minister out? What's the best way that a lunch can end?
2: Uh, the best way a lunch can end is if you sort of just clarify what you think you've learned, and they will sort of say. Yes, you can have that story, you can have that story. Well, give me six weeks on that one and then sort of nail it all down, seal the deal in blood, as it were. Most people don't have pudding like we've had pudding, but I do remember one occasion where a still serving member of the cabinet arrived, ate a starter, a main, then a pudding, and then I nipped to the loo and came back to discover that she'd ordered cheese as well and this minister did not even touch the cheese she then demanded a doggy bag and took the cheese (laughs) back to the House of Commons to eat in her office and that is easily the most the the lunch in terms of you know girth of food that came closest to the one we've just had I would say
3: well um I don't think I can beat the cabinet minister and a bag of cheese. So on, uh, on that note, thank you for talking me through the art of the political lunch. Um, so I'm going to get stuck back into my sticky toffee pudding before it's all over. Tim Shipman, thank you very much for joining me for
2: lunch. You're very good health.
3: That's all we've got time for on the podcast today. Massive thanks to the people at Hawksmoor for looking after us. It was nice. Don't forget, Patrick McGarvey here for the next couple of weeks looking after you on the podcast. I'll be back in a fortnight's time. We'll be hurtling into party conference season and who knows when there'll be a general election. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Get in touch. Matt at times.radio if you want to. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. But for now, for me, Matt Cholley, it's goodbye.